Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. What do you like this Um... <laughs> chart music. <laughs> chart music. You pop craze youngsters, and welcome to part two of episode 67 of It's a Right Royal Chart Music. I'm your host, Al Needham, they're Taylor Parks All right. and Neil Kulkana. Howdy. So, before we move on, chaps, let us set the mood of the nation, or at least the officially sanctioned mood of the nation, with an editorial from the Sunday Mirror from four days previous to this episode. The British people are having fun. That's what the Jubilee celebrations are all about. The message is, we are fed up with doom and gloom. So light the bonfires, put up the bunting, bring out the flags, let's have a street party. Give the kids something to remember, just like VE Day. It's an excuse to be neighbourly, to be nice to each other, to be happy, just for the sake of it. The excuse is a good one. The British people are pleased with the Queen. (laughs) You could say they are proud of her, but a better description is that they like her. She isn't arrogant. She is utterly dedicated. And whatever she has to do, whether it's looking suitably solemn and trooping the colour, or tossing a pebble into a lake to illustrate a point in a Christmas TV message, she does well. Down every street they will be toasting her and Britain and all that we stand for in a country that has been getting a little poorer lately. But not in spirit. (laughs) We were poor, but we were happy. I agreed with that up until uh, light the bonfires. After that, it Mm. went a bit off course. There's something a bit Brexity about that, wasn't there? Um, yes. I mean, it doesn't yeah, we're, we're living fr- in proto-Brexit times here, aren't we? Absolutely. All right, then, pop craze youngsters. It is time to go way back to June of 1977. Always remember, we may coat down your favourite band or artist or moniker, but we never forget they've been on top of the pops more than we have, apart from the monarchy bit. Hello and welcome to Top of the Pops. (laughs) 
It's 20 past seven on Thursday, July the 9th, 1977, and British television is still basking in the afterglow of a jubilee splurge. There's been a special episode of Mr. and Mrs. ITV have put on a gala of a hundred stars, featuring the likes of Patrick Allen, Les Dawson, Sir John Gilgood, Barbara Windsor, Cleo Lane and Charlie Drake. Saturday night at the Millers asked Frank Windsor and Kenny Ball and his jazz men what they were doing during the coronation. <laughs> a shitload of documentaries and dramas about the past 25 years have been on. And last night's Coronation Street had the residents of Weatherfield dressing up as a sort of British icons as part of a parade. With Annie Walker as Elizabeth I, Bet Lynch as Britannia, <laughs> Ina Sharples as Queen Victoria, Ernie Bishop as Walter Raleigh, Fred G as William Shakespeare, Ken Barlow as Edmund Hillary, a blacktop Albert Tatlock as Sherpa Tenzin, and Eddie Yates as a caveman. That's a great episode. (laughs) Alas, the wagon loan from Newton and Ridley developed a flat battery when Stan Ogden left the lights on overnight, and Reenie Roberts had a go at Albert Tatlock in the Rovers for dressing up as Idi Armin. (laughs) (laughs) But tonight, it's the turn of our favourite Thursday evening pop treat, as it enters its fourth year under the kindly reign of Robin Nash, who continues to keep a firm and unchanging hand on the top of the pop's tiller. But oh dear, the boat is beginning to rock as the charts become more unpredictable and adulterated and Captain Nash's discovery in that the job is becoming less of a dos. Article in next week's Music Week, chaps. Mm-hmm. 13 is a difficult age. Every parent has to face the problem of how much their adolescent offspring should know about forbidden things. When the 13-year-old is a television programme, it seems the answer is no easier. A sex and punk rock have laid siege to the singles chart. Top of the Pops is finding life a little less than straightforward. The Sex Pistols, of course, could hardly be expected to be welcomed with open arms, but in the same week that they rocketed embarrassingly to number 11, the Rock Follies single, OK, already shown on ITV to an audience larger than Top of the Popsers, was edited out of the show at the last minute after producer Robin Nash had listened more closely to the words. He has been producing Top of the Pops on and off for four years and believes in changing nothing when you're on to a winner. Its audience goes from about 8 million to 15 million between summer and winter and Nash is responsible for deciding what they see. Yet he could justify he is more sinned against than sinning. The BBC rarely bans a record. Unless it is inconsiderate enough to chart, a doubtful disc will just not be played in the hope that it will go away. But while radio can argue that a record does not fit in with its programming, Top of the Pops is there to put on the hits. And if it does not, it will at some stage have to say why not. As the Sex Pistols, for example, clearly have the power to offend some people merely by existing, there was a case for discretion with God Save the Queen, aside from which Top of the Pops was only following suit in the blacking by other media. 
Nash's problem in arbitrating between good and bad taste is complicated by the fact that sex stares out from all over the top 50. Kenny Rogers' easy-listening Lucille is openly adulterous. <laughs> Carol Bayer Sager lives with someone who has a rubber hose and nasty bedtime habits. And Joy Son is naughty, naughty, naughty is just that, if you want to think that way. All have appeared on top of the pops, but sadly, Pop Craze Youngsters, not in this episode before you get your hopes up. <laughs> The new wave bands pose a similar problem, though they are rarely anything but explicit. The line is easier to draw. Nash has booked the jam and the stranglers when they came up with a lyric that was inoffensive and will do so with other new wave acts. Although one dodgy thing gets to slip under the radar in this episode, as we'll discover. Chaps, filth, sex, punk rock, what's going on? Well, I mean, the major thing that comes across in that article is that although we might think of Top of the Pops as, you know, a sort of palace of dreams, it really doesn't sound much fun producing that show. No, not at the moment. No, the things that he has to balance, you know, not only potential content with the songs, but just the record companies, the fact that more American acts are becoming more popular and constantly much more difficult to get them in the studio sounds yeah. like a nightmare yeah and it also sounds so fraught because the time of sort of like deciding what's going on and actually filming the thing is so the the little window they've got is practically yeah. only a day it just yes. sounds like a friggin nightmare it's amazing that nash stayed in the job for that long because it sounds immensely stressful being top mm. of the pops producer and at this time even more so because the, the charts are fucking going mad you know things are going down and then up again as we're going to see uh, at the top end of the charts, there's been some definite tinkering going on that's going to have an impact on the charts for at least a month to come. So, yeah, poor Robin Nash, man. He, gone are the days when he could book an entire episode of Top of the Pops from a phone box in Italy when he was on his holiday. <laughs> Your host this week is Tony Blackburn, who has just reached his fourth anniversary as the sitting tenant of the Simon Bates slot from 9 to 12 on weekdays on Radio 1. Two days ago, on Jubilee Day, he linked up with Paul Burnett and his foul nemesis Noel Edmonds to present the nation's all-time top 100, a six-hour rundown voted upon by Radio 1 listeners. Chaps, would you care to hear the top ten? Oh, yes, please. All right. Hit the fucking music. Number 10. I'm Still Waiting. Diana Ross and the Supremes. Number 9. All Right Now. Free. All right. Number 8. Seasons in the Sun. Terry Jacks. (laughs) Nice. Number 7. Sailing. Rod Stewart. Number 6. Hey Jude. The Beatles. Number five, Bridge Over Troubled Water, Simon and Garfunkel. Number four, Bohemian Rhapsody, Queen. Number three, Without You, Nielsen. Oh, fuck it. Number two, Maggie May, Rod Stewart. Number one, I'm Not In Love, 10cc. Says a lot, doesn't it, that? Yeah. It does. It says a little bit about the previous sort of, you know, 10, 15 years. But it says a lot about 77, actually, that 10 yes. CCs at number one. Yeah, it also says yeah. just write a self-conscious anthem. They will fall for it. 
His demotion from the breakfast show has not diminished his star power one jot. And he's already spent the first half of 1977 putting himself about on celebrity squares, being in the rotating judges' pool on new faces, and he even made a TV appearance on Jubilee Tuesday in a repeat of Goody's Rule, OK, the 1975 Christmas special. Taylor, you've got the box set. Refresh our Um, memories as to what he got up to in that episode. Yeah, it's uh, typically... uh zany goodies scenario the new <laughs> government of outlawed fun uh, just like in the republic of jeffrey archer's ever fertile imagination um so the goodies <laughs> go underground and drive around in a car collecting all the now redundant entertainers uh, with the intention of mm. building a resistance movement and putting them back at the top where they belong so they drive all over london or in fact if you look closely all over ealing uh, where they used to make comedy. <laughs> and first thing they do, they see Tommy Cooper and they grab him and they chuck him in the car. And they see Rolf Harris and they grab him and they chuck him in the car. And then we see Tony Blackburn standing on a street corner reading the paper. Uh, the goodest car pulls up. Daily Mail, no doubt. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Tony walks over to the car, waves, and just as he gets there, it speeds off. Uh. <laughs> Tony stands in the street crying <laughs> again. <laughs> and in two days' time, he'll be co-presenting the first in the third series of Seaside Special in Eastbourne, having seen <laughs> off Noel Edmonds and Dave Lee Travis and Bagsy in a permanent slot with his wingman David Hamilton, who will no doubt be continuing their ongoing banter war, which has been dragging on for years now. Article in the Sunday Mirror in March of this year about the current fashion of celebrities knocking each other in public. A couple of game lads, outsiders but full of stamina, are top of the pops compares Tony Blackburn and David Hamilton. Of the two, I find David the crisper puncher. See if you agree. Blackburn on Hamilton. The only reason he got engaged this week was so he could have someone to carry his white handbag for him. Hamilton on Blackburn. A burglar broke into Tony's library and stole both his books. Ouch. And he hadn't even finished colouring one of them in yet. (laughs) But if they ever get matched against Jimmy Tarbuck, there'll be a lot of needle because Jimmy can't stand either of them. They are the most unfunny people I've ever heard. Tell them to leave the jokes to the pros. <laughs> as well as introducing the Nolans, Janet Brown and Ronnie Corbett, they'll be overseeing the first heat of the 1977 Miss Seaside special Natural Beauty Contest. Because, chaps, as we all know, what better judge of natural beauty than Tony Blackburn and David Hamilton? Absolutely. But it has to be said, chaps, behind that smile lies pain as... I do believe Mm. we're coming to the culmination of Tony's career of Britain's most famous cuckold, a title which he bestowed (laughs) upon himself in the autumn of 1976 when he broke down in a press conference to announce his split from Tessa Wyatt and Tony played We've Thrown It All Away by R&J Stone and If You Leave Me Now by Chicago over and over again. His 1977 started with Wyatt appearing as Richard O'Sullivan's stage girlfriend 
boyfriend in the ITV sitcom Robin's Nest, which was followed by rumours in the press that O'Sullivan was on Wyatt's Nest. (laughs) And in a few weeks' time, Blackburn would give an interview where he moved to the next stage. She's turned the weans against us. (laughs) Headline in the Daily Mirror next to a photo of him with his headphones around his neck, looking absolutely tramadol to fuck. (laughs) Headline, breaking up is hard to pay. Disc jockey Tony Blackburn wants a men's lib movement to protect spurned husbands. Tony, 34, is now suing his actress wife Tessa Wyatt for divorce on the grounds that his marriage has irretrievably broken down. Tessa left Tony last October after five years of marriage, taking their son with her. And he opened his heart about the breakup in today's Woman's Own magazine. He said, This is the worst year of my life. To this day, I shall never know how I managed to keep up the chat and corny jokes. I even thought about taking the easy way out. Oh, Tony. Listen to Chris Needham. There's no easy way out. Put your hands in the air and shout. Doing going to Capital Radio. Tony also said, after my experiences of being a loser in marriage, I'd be quite interested in starting a men's lib campaign like they have in the USA. I really feel quite strongly about this. Why should a man have to go on paying for the privilege of having someone walk out on him? Yeah, he's gone full fathers for justice there, hasn't he? He's not entirely wrong about this in terms of the way men get shafted in divorce cases, Mm. but in typical Blackburn Mm. fashion, he has made it as difficult as possible to sympathise with him. It's like the phrase men's lib or men's rights is never going to win anyone over. It mm. just makes you think that when he dressed up as Superman in roller yes. in front of Barbara, he was actually on his way to scale Big Ben with a painted banner made out of a bed sheet, uh, which is not easy to do in uh, slip-on shoes no. with a bit of a heel. The thing about Tony is that you can never quite hate him for his stupidity mm. and banality, but equally you you can't quite feel sorry for him mm. when things go mm. wrong. No. He makes it very difficult. Yeah. Even in the sort of tiny five-second segment in which he introduces this episode, mm. even if you were a kid who didn't know about all of these shenanigans and what he was going mm. through that year, there's something incredibly even more forced than normal. You, you can sort of, sort of simultaneously see why he's so emblematic for so many people of this sort of anodyne, superficial nature of pop radio and pop television, but you can also see why out of all of the Radio 1 DJs at that time, he's perhaps sort of psychologically <laughs> most compelling in a way that 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 <laughs> smile i mean is that an expression of true emotion or is that a reflex of kind of avoidance of real emotion you, you always find yourself in this episode are we watching an adult man or are we watching a kind of painfully withdrawn child playing his games of pretense at being normal in an adult body <laughs> when i think of the smiles of the other djs like savile smile that's a leer you know mm. Travis's smile yeah, yeah. is a bug-eyed kind of Colin Hunt style proof of zaniness Simon Bates yes. always looks like he's posing for a brochure and, and Noel Edmonds' <laughs> smile is just pure careerism but 
Blackburn, what's behind that smile? Uh, yeah. uh, you know, it's something I've been thinking a lot about recently because I, I've shifted my radio habits of a Saturday morning of late. I'm Radio 3, 9 till 12, but 7 till 9, I'm now listening to Sounds of the 60s with Tony Blackburn, mm. you know, pottering around, yeah. having my tea and tea in my facts. I was kind of initially angry that he got that gig because the Coventry-born Brian Matthews made the programme very much his own and mm. turned it into something of a cult for several years, you know. Um, yeah. And I was a bit annoyed when, when Tony took over. Tony Blackburn has definitely editorialised this show. It's very reflective of him. It's got a northern soul section now and a Motown mm-hmm. A to Z and a do what feature. It clearly reveals his obsessions in pop, but still, after what, nearly on sort of 50 years really of dealing with Tony Blackburn in my life, I've still got no clue really what he does with music and what it does mm-hmm. to him. He likes music, I'll give him that. Yeah. But I think he just likes music that lets him be Tony Blackburn, smiling and dancing and, and essentially self-pitying. So it's mm-hmm. so his smile here, yeah, worst year of his life, and it, there's just an extra tincture of forcedness and facadeness mm-hmm. to Tony in this episode that I found really compelling, actually. He would have been well chuffed about I'm Still Waiting get to number 10 since it was him that got it released by Tamla Motown. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he wouldn't have failed to mention that. <laughs> <No. laughs> I think all music for him is just it's a it's a spiritual thing it's part of the sort of the ceremonial reanimation in his mind of Tessa Mm. it's just her like incorporeal form (laughs) with it I know she comes from Woking and you say she's a fool (laughs) but her heart is in the city where it belongs (laughs) Well, at least Tony will be able to console himself this weekend by linking up with an unnamed dancer in New Edition, the regular troupe in Seaside Special, who's been Uh nobbing for the past two series. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is the thing about Tony Blackburn. He goes on about being the the jilted husband and everything. But, you know, he also mentions that, oh, yeah, I was was being a massive slag at the time (laughs) as well. Why she left me? Oh, yeah. Let's not forget that what broke up their happy home was that he slept with what he referred to as a lovely oriental person mm. and i quite like oriental people yes. <laughs> so you know it's <laughs> i was watching the top of the pops from 1983 a while ago not the same one with peter powell looking like proud earner of five o levels <laughs> disgraced liar grad chaps a different one um it's where jonathan king's wretched interlude oh yes mm. this entertainment come- usa Mm. Yeah, but he was in Paris this time, ah. and it was outroed by Tony Blackburn with the words, that was a gay Jonathan King <laughs> in Paris, <laughs> to which Gary Davis says, I think you mean Jonathan King in gay Paris, uh, to which Tony just grins silently. <laughs> So, on top of everything else, a pioneer of outrage. Mm. Um, Not Mm. only that, outing people when he wasn't gay himself, which I think shows real dedication to the cause. (laughs) (laughs) We're hit with a cold open of toner in a light blue short-sleeved shirt with all waves on it and some sort of animal that I can't work out what it is on it, tucked into beige Saxons. Sporting an exceedingly (laughs) lank hairstyle and his trademark smile, which makes him look like the Joker played by Terry Wogan. (laughs) (laughs) After nailing two critical pieces of information, hello, 
and welcome to Top of the Pops. He hurls us into the top 30 as the clarion call of whole lot of love by the Top of the Pops orchestra blares out. And chaps, it's a return to those pictures. Oh, yeah. What caught the eye this time? The first thing that caught my eye was um, the eagles. Um, yes. Looking like five versions of the statue of Christ that Carrie has in her under the stairs <laughs> prayer cubbyhole. <laughs> they look fucking terrifying. One of the eagles on the left-hand side, he's been perfectly bisected by the picture crop, hasn't he? Just like that jellyfish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. But there's, I mean, the thing is with the eagles, there's actually a lot of bands here who kind of explain why punk had to happen, I guess. Lots of bearded, bedenined, totally indistinguishable bands. ELP, Genesis, Blue, they all kind of look the same. Yeah, not that blue, hasten to add. Yeah, not that blue, not that blue. But, um, I mean, the other one that stuck out to me is Brian Ferry. Yes. He looks like Roy of the Rovers' teammate, Blackie Grey. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Also, wearing a one-comedy Mr. Spock ear, unless that's his <laughs> real ear which would Fuck. make me wonder whether he had his eyes surgically moved closer together to distract anyone <laughs> from ever noticing it. Yeah, and the only other one I noticed was, yeah, Boz Skaggs, nonce estate agent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, equally terrifying is the Bay City Rollers, who've been airbrushed yes. into the realm of yeah. the uncanny. They're like the Bay City <laughs> yes. real dolls. Although it has to be said that the so-called restoration that someone has done on this particular file has made pretty much everyone look kind of disturbing. They all look like the pictures mm, you'd mm. get if you type their names into Dal E, a timeless <laughs> reference there that will never date. Um, but there's the Liverpool football team in a very yes. dark creepy photograph in front of some flock wallpaper which looks like it was taken at the scene of a spontaneous human combustion um, <laughs> the heat from which has melted off the faces of the players i don't think too many children would have pinned that poster up on their bedroom <laughs> no, no and it's immediately out of date because kevin keegan's yeah, on it yeah yeah yeah, mm. yeah what else is there uh 10 cc a spiteful yes. Eric Stewart, having shrunk yeah. Godly and Cream to the size of bodkins, displays them <laughs> hidden in the palm of his hand to a delighted yes. Graham Goldman. Caption, yes. lol. Get it? <laughs> Gladys Knight and the Pips. The Pips oh. jackets patterned after the first half second of the then-current Tyne Tees ident. Uh, niche but accurate. Well spotted, Taylor. Honker looked like they're watching a stripper at a working men's club. <laughs> Go back and look at that picture. You'll, you'll see it. Genesis, Phil Collins has got his face right glommed onto Tony Banks's neck, yeah. mm. making him look like the world's hairiest conjoined twins. Yeah. And also, the one that no one knows what his name is has got this sort of feral pullover and scarf thing going on. Yes. Yeah, the four of them look like Ford Prefects, Slarty Bartfast, yes. and Zaphod Beeblebrooks in a yes. public school production of it. Shaka's Garden Galaxy. Piero Umilane is depicted as a plastic mushroom with a face and springy horns. Yeah. Well, maybe he is. Maybe that's what he is. <laughs> oh, and Rock Follies are entitled Julie Covington, Charlotte Cornwall, Rule Lenska. Yeah, yeah. Because the BBC aren't about to advertise an ITV television programme. Right. Like they're not going to call them Rock Follies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Rule Lenska, the patriotic Polish song. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha,
As the whittling guitar reaches a crescendo and the canned applause kicks in, we're immediately whipped into the image of some congas being bashed as the first act appears. It's Ossie Bisa and the Warrior. Warrior, come out to play! We've already covered Osibisa, the Ghana Nigerian Caribbean collective, in Chart Music 29 when they took Sunshine Day to number 17 in January of 1976. And this single, the follow up to Dance the Body Music, which got to number 31 in June of last year, is taken from their seventh LP, Ojar Awake. It was originally put out by the band as a single in 1975, but failed to chart, and is a cover of a song taken from Ipi Tombe, the 1974 South African musical, about a young man who leaves his village and goes to work in the mines of Johannesburg, which made it to the West End last year, before transferring to Broadway. On the back of the success of the stage show, it's been dusted off and put out again. And while it's not in the chart yet, Robin Nash clearly doesn't give a toss, as here they are in the studio. And chaps, Ippy Tombe, being good and upstanding citizens of ATV land as you are, we all know the title track of that musical, as well as we know our own mother's faces, don't we? <laughs> Is it from the <laughs> advert for the West Midlands Safari Park? Hiya! Oh! Hiya! Oh, yeah. <laughs> Only during the research of this song for chart music did I learn that they aren't English lyrics. Because I'd listen to that advert for the West Midlands Safari Park and just think, they're saying something, but what the fuck is it? Uh, yeah, and yeah, I, yeah, I just yeah. assumed it was a really thick Birmingham accent. <laughs> <laughs> you know the second bit where it goes, that bit. I worked out that the last line must be, it's on the um. And I just assumed that there was a river um that I that was somewhere in Birmingham, and, and that's where the West Midlands Safari Park was on the um. It's strangely plausible. Actually. Maybe next to the yeah. River Tom, uh, where Tickle Town is. In fact, it's right next to an area of a common land called Rid Covert, right, which is where we used to go camping when I was in Ooh. the Cubs. And the best thing was because it was right next to the Safari Park, you'd be sitting around the bonfire at night, like eating your marshmallows mm. or whatever, and they'd be trying to get you to sing those stupid mm. songs and in the distance you could hear lions roaring wow yeah <laughs> even better than the bit where you all had to queue up outside a tent and go in get naked and be washed by the people no and, yeah yeah deloused yeah and it was kind of unpleasant because they had a, a a light bulb on inside the tent so if you stood outside the tent you got one hell of a shadow play <laughs> Putting that aside um, forever, <laughs> any notion that this episode of Top of the Pops is going to be an orgy of flag shagging is immediately dispelled, isn't it? I, I wonder if that was deliberate. I don't think it was deliberate. I mean, it's a cracking song to start an episode yes. with. But there is this odd dissonance with this performance. It's presented, and Ossibisa, to, the, the, you know, to their credit, actually presents it as a kind of upbeat holiday anthem almost. Yes. But, you know, slowly the, the lyrics, if you notice yes. it, start snagging on you a little bit and you wonder what the hell it's all about. I mean, we've already mentioned one of those deeply gratifying scenes in the Nationwide Jubilee special. That I've got to admit, that Jubilee special is now haunts my dreams. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait for the bonus episode, Pop Crazy. Oh, yeah. Get your send signed up to Patreon. You don't want to miss it. <laughs> but, you know, th- th- it's a weird thing to put 
in a Jubilee episode of Top of the Pops. It's a very upbeat tune. Yes. It's got these weird lines about, you know, the vultures fly, the wind is high, the warrior fights, the battle of power. Mm. It's not exactly celebratory no. of um, Britain or British. <laughs> the no. scavengers wait, each find their space. Death is late, the battle of power. Yeah, You're not going to notice it's those lines. It's an of run to the hills, isn't it? <laughs> it yeah, is, yeah. isn't it? You're not particularly going to notice those lines, perhaps, when you're a kid, and no. you're just going to you're just going to see it as a nice, sunny sort of um, very danceable tune. And you wonder who are going to be chucking the spares at? It could be <laughs> oh, our brave boys. <laughs> but it's 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 both simultaneously a, a start that makes sense because it's upbeat, but the lyrics, you know, tell us something completely different. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with this, but I don't generally get on with African pop that sounds simultaneously this jolly mm. and this shiny. Mm. Yeah. Uh, either one is okay, but the two together I'll switch off a bit. I wish that yeah. there was a little bit more of that uh, bloodshot-eyed terror mm. in the actual music as well. I mean, it's very slick, as you might expect from an Afro rock band produced by Eleanor Bronze's brother, right. um, who also did Manfred Mann and Uriah mm. Heep and the Bonzo Dog Doodle Band. Ooh. So a pro, but not someone who's necessarily going to capture the grit and the heat that you hear on the best Afro rock yeah. stuff. Mm. Never mind the actual African-based rock bands, who I always prefer to mm. the British-based ones. But, I mean, it could be done, because some of this stuff is great. Like, there's brilliant and well-recorded records by, like, Ofo, the Black Company, right? Lafayette Afro Rock Band. Mm. But part of what's great about the bands who are playing rock and soul and funk influence stuff in Africa mm. was that they had to use relatively crappy old studios, yeah. mm. which really mm. suits the music in the same way that it suits the Velvet Underground or whatever. You know, you, you hear the amps hissing and the heat haze, and it really brings out the the power of it. But then also, Beats would always sounded fairly slick. Mm. To the, if you listen to their early albums, it's kind of Afro prog. Right. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. They had Roger yet, Dean covers, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. They did. Fantastic. Yeah. Like Roger Dean's only ever good covers. Mm. Like the, if you listen to their first album with the cover of the elephants with butterfly wings on it. Mm. I mean, that's you know produced by Tony Visconti. It's as slick as this track, mm. but it yeah, weighs yeah. about fifteen times as much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, and also the cover of Heads, which I should say, Heads, the greatest ever title for an Afro prog LP. Mm. It's inspired Roger Dean to his greatest and most grotesque work ever. Right. <laughs> He's like obviously trying to be influenced by like Bitch's Brew cover and mm. stuff like that, trying to go a bit yeah. Afro. But his own style is so absurd that you can just add anything to it and it, you know, it looks completely crazy. And of course, uh, Ossibisa end up using Matty Clarwine, don't they? Who did the Bitch's Brew cover. Oh, really? Uh, I think they, yeah, they start using him straight after they sort of, they don't dump Roger Dean as such, but they start using Matty Clarwine so soon after. Yeah. But yeah, there's no dirt here. Yeah. And the polish, I mean, the polish is actually something that's picked up in reviews. The review of this, the album that The Warrior is from, um, is by Chris Welsh and a melody mm. maker. And, and, and he actually praises its clean guitar lines uh. and, and all of this sort of stuff. He talks about clean and and it does make you think i mean what a shame in a way it, it, talking of afro rock that comes from england if you like or comes from london you know what a shame a band like i don't know demon fuzz 
um, who came up, you know, this is the same time as Lost the Beast from the same kind of scene. Their Africa album from 71 is it, fantastic right. and dirty and filthy, and that's why it's sampled so yeah. much by so many hip hoppers. Um, they never made it because they were a bit too weird. Yeah, Lost yeah, the Beast yeah. were always going to get ahead because they're clean and their sound provides no kind of barrier, if you like. It's just very clean and palatable. Mm. Yeah, although, I mean, like that first album was a hit record. It was mm. a top 20 album in Britain, right? You know? So it yeah. just makes you think they could have done something a little bit crunchier for a hit yeah, single. Yeah, yeah. I mean, also, I mean, this is basically high life, isn't it? The way it's... Like, uh, yeah. And there's yeah. always the temptation is to put too much gloss on high life. Mm. And because it's already super bright, mm. and when the band can really play like this one, you want to hear them. Mm. I like the breakdown bit in this where you get like a, a hint of funkiness all of a sudden. And then when all the band come back in again, it sort of spoils it. I mean, it sounds like trying to be cool or worse, you know, saying... You know, I want my Africans recording in a sweltering <laughs> yeah, yeah, shack yeah. in Zambia. <laughs> you know, like putting out their records with Letraset front covers. Yeah. But Taylor, those records sound better. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. Zamrock records from coming around around about this same period, you know, from bands like Witch and stuff, who are recording yeah. in pretty poor scenarios. Yeah, they're fucking amazing records, precisely because of the dirtiness. And I don't think those yeah, things yeah. were necessarily just foisted on those bands. They love that dirt mm-hmm. and they love that distortion and that sound. Yeah. Osa is a different thing. In entirely but it's a great i I think it's a good start to the show i mean it's upbeat at least yeah it's just that you know you listen to their first few records and compared to that stuff this is a bit like their you better you bet (laughs) it's like if your strengths as a band are adventure and drive and like red hot ensemble playing Mm. um that's what you want to hear on the records Mm. right yeah 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 and in a way it's I can understand why they're first on this program to kick it off. But in a way, they they suffer for coming first on this program because this is so much better than a lot of what's coming yes. up later. <laughs> and if you heard it halfway through the show, you you would sit up soon enough. Mm, yeah, but that's the funny thing. I mean, tying it in with the Nationwide Ghibli special, that, that classic bit when, you know, it scrolls up the scene, all the colonies we've lost. We are pretty yes. much by this time in 77, we haven't got anything left. Have we still got Belize, maybe? I don't know. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, we've got nothing left. And, that, and that's accompanied by the lowering of the Union Jack. And this Jubilee episode here starts with an anti-colonialist song yes. played by an African group. It's it's really odd, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But it's totally, of course, unnoticed by the audience oh, yeah. and also Tony Blackburn. Yeah. Uh, inevitably. I don't think the general public's ready for the Burundi beat just yet. That mm. would happen a few mm. years later with I Eat Cannibals and The Lion Sleeps Tonight. <laughs> you know, with the true sound of Africa. As a nine-year-old, this is the only African music I'm going to hear apart from you know, the opening credits of Tarzan. Yeah, yeah and, and the aforementioned uh, West Midland Safari Park advert. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Although it, you know, instantly provides Tony with a chance to fuck up. Yes, we'll come to that <laughs> in a minute. <laughs> okay, okay. So the following week, and for every week after that to this day, the warrior failed to chart. The follow-up, Living Loving Feeling, was also given the rub of a Top of the Pops performance in December of this year, but that failed to chart as well, and they never bothered the Top 40 ever again. But they made a nice living on the festival circuit throughout the late 70s, playing at the Zimbabwe Independence Celebration gig with Bob Marley and the Whalers, and living out the rest of their careers as a strictly world music concern. But wait. Guess who appeared the other week 
on Mike Reed's Heritage Chart Show. What? Only Osibisa. What? Oh, yeah, they got a new record out. All right. Which isn't very good, but it made it into the only <laughs> chart that counts. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, how long until the first angry letter to Mike? Dear Mike Reed, yes. I was under the impression this <laughs> yes. was meant to be the Heritage Chart Show, yeah. not the African Heritage yes. Chart Show. <laughs> <laughs> and knowing old Muck Reed, he might even read it out. Um, yeah. Hey, look, I'll give you a quick update on this because I decided to read it and weep the other night um, <laughs> with a drink to fortify myself against the soul attack. <laughs> and I caught up. Uh, Nick Kershaw's at number one, still hasn't Ooh. grown any taller. Guess who else turned up? Your friend and mine, Dean Friedman. Oh! Alas, saying nothing of interest. But I did notice something about the new record by Katrina of... Well, Katrina of Katrina and the Waves, yeah. as she's now built, mm. in case anyone yeah. thought that... She was a hurricane. That, yeah, Hurricane Katrina's <laughs> got a new record out. Yeah. Um, but her song goes, Every day is like a holiday. And I thought wait a minute, is this demographic targeting? Mm. Is this a song about being retired? Yeah. Like, how great would that be? Rock and roll songs about being retired. Yeah. How many of them have there been? I don't know, but how cool would it be? Thumb in their nose at at the working stiffs. You know, it'd be like a wham rap, but about being retired. I might not have a job, but I have a good time with the girls that I meet, Daily Mail, below the line. O-A-P-O-R. Hey, everybody, take a look at me. I got a scooter for mobility. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and the other thing that caught my eye is one of the Roubettes now looks exactly like Larry David. It's uncanny. Yeah, he must get it all the time. People coming up to him and saying, (laughs) hey, bold asshole. And he he goes, yeah, 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 like out of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And they go, like out of what? But, yeah. <laughs> but at least at least that's one band where you can't snigger when they all turn up wearing hats. <laughs> <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There it is. That's the sound there of Asabisa and an album called The Warrior. And that's a good way to start our sort of jubilee edition, I guess we could call it, at Top of the Pots. Hope that you had a really lovely holiday. And uh, let's keep the holiday atmosphere going with the Electric Light Orchestra and Telephone Line. Hello? Tony. 
off to the side tells us that Ossibisa was a good way to start the Jubilee Top of the Pops. He then expresses his hopes that we had a good Jubilee DOS and tells us that they're going to keep the holiday atmosphere going with a song about extreme loneliness and borderline <laughs> stalking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, let's keep the holiday atmosphere going. Yeah, with this song about a desperate man who's lost his dignity, endlessly mm. ringing his ex, even though she won't <laughs> pick up. Well, that's how Tony spent his Jubilee Bank holiday anyway. <laughs> and let's face it, we've all been there. That and not watching the summer repeats of Series 1 of Robin's Nest. No. And let's face it, we've all been there too. Anyway, the song Tony's talking about is Telephone Line by ELO. It seems that we're contractually obliged to talk about the Electric Light Orchestra every fucking time we do a late 70s Top of the Pops. <laughs> and this, their 13th single released in the UK, is the follow-up to Rock Aria, which got to number 9 in March of this year. It's the third and final cut from their 1976 LP, A New World Record, which is still putting itself about on the LP charts and is currently at number 11. It entered the chart three weeks ago at number 42, then soared 14 places to number 28, and this week it's moved up five places from number 18 to number 13. As Jeff and the chaps are currently in Munich recording their next album, Out of the Blue, and have already drawn a line under making in-studio performances on top of the pop since Night Rider in April of 1976, here's a still new innovation for the time, a promo video. And chaps, here we have 70s video cliche number one, the fake live performance, <laughs> which was pretty much the only game in town in this era, wasn't it? I mean, even both Bohemian Rhapsody, when you look at it again, is a fake live performance, but with extra overlays of fire, like a coal light advert. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, ELO on film always look like they're on another planet as well. Mm. And I've never been able to work this out. It always looks like footage from Apollo 17. Mm. You know, like Gene Cernan collecting dust samples, you know. Yeah. And yet... They're such earthbound people. So, yeah, ELO, they don't do Top of the Pops anymore. Yeah, how come? Is it beneath them? Well, because they're massive now. Yeah, yeah. And probably something to do with Jeff Lynne being the most reticent man in pop at the moment. You know, when Out of the Blue comes out in a few months' time, he tells the record company that the only press interview he's going to do for it is with the Birmingham Mail, <laughs> because that's the only paper that his mum and dad read. <laughs> so, yeah. He's a bit of a control freak, mm. which reveals itself in this record actually i quite like this song it's lovely this song yeah is. it's firmly in the in the you know let's rewrite the beatles something area of elo's work but it is yeah. a it's pristine it's perfect the harmonies are really choice and it's mm. got that kind of pacific coast suggestiveness in the bakaraki chords that i mean it always comes yeah. naturally that kind of thing to people living in the most landlocked bit of the uk mm. so yeah i mean it's, it's a really good song and actually they benefit i think like taylor says it does have this sealed in space age kind of vibe this little clip yeah it's a song about technology a bit odd i mean is he talking to an operator yeah it sounds like he's trying to leave a phone message or something. but then he talks to an operator i mean phones were the music streaming service of the day of course with dialogues that was getting 100 100 million calls a year real money spinner even if people had started figuring out to press the b button before the end of the record and get a refund (laughs) maybe tony spent the jubilee talking to the dial a disc playing of this song (laughs) 
just adding an extra level to it. Well, I, I mean, I remember people phoning dialer desk and saying they could hear other people. What? Um, in between the record, yeah, in between, you know, because it, it was, I think it changed how many songs were yeah. on it. Um, but in between each song, people that I spoke to, especially if you did it from a phone right. box, could hear little bits of conversation. <laughs> they might have been bullshitting mm. me, but that's what they could hear, certainly. But the annoying thing, I mean, it, it's one of those things that as a songwriter, you know, old technology, it provides better rhymes, to be honest yeah. with you. Phones, calls, radio. Mm. In 2022, we're still at that point, really, where even in hip-hop, mention of, I don't know, Instagram or followers or feeds, it still sounds in a weird way more dated. Yes. Because instantaneously, it's kind of superannuated by being mentioned in the song. Where, whereas the phone call is something that will immortally be in pop. Yeah. Because it, it puts you in that position, an interesting lyrical position, um, of being able to talk and perhaps also listen to someone who's not there with you. Mm. And and that's kind of the pull of this song. Yeah. And it is, as Taylor said, it's a dark, despairing kind of song yeah. as well. The other song that they've been kicked up into the big league is The Dial Tone, which is an American one. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Apparently they rang up an American number at random and hoped no one would pick it up. You know, partly so they could record <laughs> it, but also partly so they wouldn't get a massive phone bill and then run yeah. it for a move. <laughs> Yeah, they know all the tricks of transatlantic pop from A to Z. Mm. <sighs> and yeah, you're right, Neil. You know, people talk about films that you couldn't make shot for shot nowadays because of technologies rendered the plot unworkable. Well, you know, that kind of applies to this as well because, you know, there wouldn't be an operator involved. Mm. Nowadays, you'd have to call the song 5G Mast or <laughs> 700 unanswered text messages. I don't like how when you type ELO into YouTube... Mm-hmm. It auto-completes as Elon Musk. No! Yeah. I mean, it's an easy mistake to make. It's two ugly rich men with spaceships. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a good thing they didn't call themselves uh, Electric Toaster Orchestra. Right. Uh, or it would auto-complete as Eaton Musk. Oh. A sweet smell of success. <laughs> it's a pungent fragrance of uh, old meat, uh, <laughs> masturbation, and somebody else's sweat <laughs> this is one of my favorite elo singles though i always go on about how elo records are on or off with me mm. there's some that mm. i love and some that i can't bear but this is great it's as much of a weird artificial underwater neon world as all the best elo records but mm. it's also a a genuinely emotional ballad that you can believe in on mm. that level yeah. too and they work together like the strange unearthly atmospheres created by the production enhance the meaning of the song yeah. and enforce yeah. it so you don't get the feeling that you sometimes get from ELO that the record is a giant impressively sculpted uh, blue glass abstract mm. which has function but no meaning which is perfectly okay but it's just it's nice to have some sort of contact too like Jeff Lynne is not what anyone would call a soul man no but he can create sounds which trigger peculiar emotions mm. so all the better if he matches them to an appropriate song yeah. yeah and this is the slowest ELO single so far isn't it yeah you'd have to wait until wild west hero for another one like it and that's right. nowhere near as good as this to my no. mind although it is the usual mixture of late beatles and pre-beatles mm. style mm. but the 50s or early 60s type bits here aren't just decoration 
mm. or like a, a, a beery nostalgia trip like they are on some of these records. Yeah. Mm. They're integrated into the song and it and it works. They they wring a bit of tragedy out of the do what bits, mm. you know. It's like, yeah. They're all yeah, behind yeah. perspex as usual, but you do feel something when you hear them because the song has properly set you up to. Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say the fifth and sixth is because for me, the harmonies like straight from the Everly Brothers and, mm. and uh, the song's like quite Beatlesy. But the lines themselves, the lyrics, are, ve- are definitively 70s. I mean, yeah. I'm living in Twilight. It's just such a fantastic payoff yeah. line mm. yeah, in yeah. that hook that, that I think is a very 70s thing. Yeah. So they're combining those things to make something contemporary. It's good. Yeah, I like it. It reminds me of me in the winter when it always seems to be either 4pm or 4am. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly not an original song, that's for sure. Mm. There's bits in here that are essentially identical to other songs. Yeah. The long and winding road for that piano mm. and the way he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> all the young dudes for the chorus, yeah. mm. although... That chord sequence wasn't new when Bark used it. <laughs> Never mind the hello. And most obviously, Hello by Lionel Richie for the opening line. Yes. Which is, so that's two from before this record existed and one from after. Yeah. So on balance, that's a deficit. Well, oh, and you haven't even mentioned Hello, This Is Jonah. Oh, yeah. A year or so later, which yeah. ramped up the technology even more because there's an answering machine and you can hear Jonah. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Even though she's dead in a car crash. I miss all those story songs you used to get. Yeah. Now, I do like Jeff Lynne, but it's just the way it feels like for him, his whole life was just leading up to joining the Travelling Wilburys. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You just get the impression that he's more of a fan than a visionary. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Which is, you know, even though David Bowie had already shown that you could be both... But it's just that fuzziness of purpose, you know, as well as of face, <laughs> I suppose. Also, he's the only person in the world where you don't recognise him until he puts a pair of dark glasses on. <laughs> yes. like, oh, it's Jeff Lynn. You know, he's just another browser in the pornographic bookshop until he uh, <laughs> sticks the literature under his coat pays and leaves steps outside slips on a pair of shades and oh hey jeff all right hey jeff <laughs> don't bring me down Groose. <laughs> he loves that <laughs> and it's a quick thumbs up and he's back in his allegro speeding back towards <laughs> spaghetti junction i also like the way that the orchestra if you like the string players in this mm. they don't do that normal thing of like dressing them up like they're playing in the abbott hall or something they just mm. look like jobbing musicians and they seem like part of it all they they don't feel like oh look we're making ourselves a bit posher um mm. they, they feel like musicians as well so it's actually a really successful video in a way even though yeah, yeah it's cliched to have those kind of performance videos but this is actually a really good one and and the face on kind of shot of jeff that dominates most of it is spot on i think he looks great i mean the thing is it could be mm. argued as we were saying when we were looking through those photos at the start this episode of top of the pots an awful lot of people look like this in terms of big hair big beard big shades yeah, yeah. but jeff does it really well i think i think he looks fantastic yeah, yes. I think he does too, I've got to be honest. Although in the West Midlands in the 1970s, if you were in your 30s or even late 20s and you wanted to look kind of cool but not too cool, this was very mm. much the look you would go Indeed. for. Yes, I've, I've met so many people who look like oh, that. God, yeah, oh, God, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Why don't we ever see him on the heritage chart, eh? 
He thinks he's mm. too good for it. I want to see him <laughs> yeah. being interviewed by Mike Reed uh, over Zoom in the kind of visual quality that people watch live streams of 9-11 on, on QuickTime, <laughs> you know. Like... Did I ever tell you when I was a kid, by the way, that I was in the car and we were driving somewhere near Birmingham and mm. we were following a big car with the registration number BEV1. Oh. Which I thought that has to be Bev Bevan, yeah, surely. Yeah. Cool. That's my claim to fame. Uh, although, you know, I probably a Vauxhall Viva or something. Because you know I mean? <laughs> at the time, you had no idea. It's like, like when me and my mates thought we must be delivering the local paper to Robert Plant's house. So <laughs> I never tell you that one. Because on my paper round, there was like one big detached house, you know. Right. So obviously yeah, yeah. it was owned yeah. by like an estate agent or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because it was the, the only big sort of posh looking house on our paper round, we used to speculate perhaps that's <laughs> where Robert Plant lives. <laughs> Um, it wasn't just that we didn't know how the the other half lived. It's that we couldn't even imagine it properly. Mm. So the following week, telephone line moved up five places to number eight, then dropped two places to number 10 the week after, but moved back up two places to return to number eight the week after that, its highest position. But over on stateside US of A, it got to number seven on the Billboard charts, their first top 10 placing the follow-up turn to stone was put out in november of this year and with the assistance of legs and co shaking it all about while trying not to knock over some wobbly polystyrene stalagmites and stalactites got to number 18 the following month Put a hold on you as Bernie Flint's uh, very first record, and of course, it was a smash hit. He's got a brand new one out, and this I think is even better. It's going to go even higher. It's called Southern Comfort. I was brought up in the country, I was taught to have respect. Then at home, I learned the words to every song. Born in Southport in 1952, Bernard Flint was a former sailor and window cleaner who was working as a van driver for a laundry in Ormskirk in November of 1976 when he went with his best mate Dave Mead, the little brother of Sid Little, to Manchester to audition for Opportunity Knox, the long-running Thames TV talent show. The panel was so taken with his singer-songwriter stylings that they wanted to immediately rush him on the show, only to discover that he'd only written down the name of his street in his application form, which led Huey Green to contact Fleet Street and spark a manhunt that was instantly successful. Fucking hell, if only they got in Huey Green to look for the Yorkshire River... (laughs) He made his debut appearance on the show in January of 1977 and became an instant success, winning 12 episodes on the bounce and retiring undefeated, breaking the record of New World, who won nine weeks in a row in 1970, thanks to over 18,000 fake postcard votes partially organised by Janie Jones's husband. <laughs> he was immediately signed to EMI and his debut single, I Don't Want to Put a Hold on You, went all the way to number three in April, spending six weeks in the top ten. 
And this single, taken from his first LP, is the follow-up. It's not in the charts just yet, but Top of the Pops knows a hit when it sees one, and I mean that most sincerely, folks. <laughs> it's only the second or third time that we've come across someone who's been on Opportunity Knocks, chaps, and, you know, that's a collective which includes Peters and Lee, mm. Mary Hopkin, Middle of the Road, Lena Zavarone, Neil Reed, The Jam, Bobby Crush, Millican and Nesbitt, Paper Lace, and Max Boyce. Yes, and I did say The Jam. Yeah. Paul Weller's girlfriend at the time applied to Opportunity Knocks on behalf of the band in late 1974, and they were invited to audition in August of 1975 at Surbiton Town Hall, doing a medley of Beatles covers, uh, but they failed to impress. Uh, and what a, <laughs> what a shame, man. That I think we'd be living in a different world if The Jam went on Opportunity Knocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I used to watch Opportunity Knocks at my nan's. Yes. It was an extreme nan show, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember even then, two things were agonisingly obvious. Firstly, there was something not right about Huey Green. And secondly, yeah. the clapometer did not appear to be the complex piece of highly technological <laughs> sound <laughs> measuring God, equipment no. we were led to believe. Actually, a bit of cardboard moved by a hidden hand, which uh, yes. like, it struck me as both worryingly imprecise and potentially open to corruption. But that's what's remarkable about Flint. 12 weeks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the staggering thing about that is that peop- people wrote in, you know, to yes. vote for him. Letters, stamps, get into the post box. Teddington Lock, Middlesex. To get this hateful fucker in yeah because bloody hell this is awful well you do wonder how mr charisma bernie flint won it for 12 weeks straight but uh, i mean you'd be happier about spending 12 weeks in flint michigan than 12 weeks listening <laughs> to bernie flint. but then you think well he was almost certainly up against identical septuplets with stylophones playing sometimes mm. i feel like a motherless child and you know <laughs> and an old bloke who smashed himself in the face with a baking tray over and over mm. again while screaming and a bearded group of popular northern entertainers with their trousers rolled up over their knobbly knees so they could (laughs) break off in the middle of the song and kick each other in the kneecaps for comic (laughs) relief i bet if you watch the shows that he was actually on he looks like nick drake (laughs) even though you watch this and you just think oh i see your uncle bernie finally got to make his record (laughs) he never gave up Always believed in himself. Yeah, it's nice for him. I mean, I remember Opportunity Knocks extremely well. I mean, it, it was on the telly at my mum's house and my nonna's house right through the 70s. And both Opportunity Knocks and New Faces were a massive deal at the time. But mm. the great thing about them was, unlike the talent shows of today, Opportunity Knocks would pitch up on a Monday evening and then it would just fuck off for the rest of the week and not yeah, bothered yeah. you. You know, it wasn't rammed up yeah. your arse non-stop like Pop Idol or any of that shit. So, yeah, I knew... Of Mr. Flint quite well, but you know, going by this performance, it is hard to work out why he won every week for three months. It's just dog shit, isn't it? I mean, for starters, I mean, the title bugs me because he's yeah. has he just basically chosen that as a drink he's heard of as as I don't know some mm. kind of proof of his Americana roots, maybe. And it's an awful drink anyway. Immediately brought back oh, emetic gosh, yeah. memories for me. Um, yeah. Only rival by, I don't know, Diamond White or Thunderbird Blue. Yeah, it's not a session drink. <laughs> no, no, no. But I, I mean, there's no way of proving it. I, I'm fairly sure that his 12 week reign, I think Brummie's had a big part to play in this. No. And he's just hateful. He's not particularly good looking. 
His voice is horrible. I don't know. For 1977, he was all right. <laughs> I'm going to say. But his voice is horribly mediocre. And he it, looks like a defender for Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, he does. But his voice is mediocre. He pushes it into the choruses like, like kids in mm. a choir who've been told to enunciate clearly. I mean, yeah. as a kid, I would rather have had, yeah, Bob Blackman singing um, Mule Train and bashing his head yes. the tea tray or something like that. Yes. His song is really pretty awful. The audience can't dance to it. No. And really, if it wasn't for his religious leanings, he'd already basically be looking ahead at a future of Pontins. Yeah. Supporting the Grumbleweeds or, or Roy mm. Spook Slither J in between the bingo. <laughs> you know, yes. he's, he's not got a lot going for him. Well, hang on. Let's look at this. It's, his song is, uh, I'm going home to Southern Comfort. He's from fucking Southport. Exactly. <laughs> That world-famous Skelmersdale hospitality. Sitting on the porch with a mint julep. A battered sausage and a kick in the balls. <laughs> yeah. but in terms of what he looks like, he's got this feathered hair, mm. like flick back, yeah. but manageable, with a neat, unthreatening moustache yeah. and sideburns, which almost touch the tips of the moustache, mm. but not quite, yeah. lest that hint at diabolism or you know or the permissive society and he's got that hair shaped like an upside down strawberry like strafed with cossack and yeah what's weird is that today even if he was trying to look ultra conformist like this it might be a moderately attractive man mm. but 1977 styled bernie May as well be a different species. I mean, at least he's made the effort in his grey leisure top. Yes. Accessorised with caramel-coloured boots. Mm. It's a beautiful combination. (laughs) Going perfectly with the the off-white trousers and the the yellowish wood of his acoustic guitar. (laughs) It takes quite a man to make natural colours clash. (laughs) You know, there's something irresistibly British about it. He, He ends up looking like... Like like Dickie Davis dreaming about being back on his speedboat. <laughs> and he's also got a tattoo of a swallow on his right forearm, which was the oh, the seventies yeah. signifier of being a wronger. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was a salty yeah, sea, yeah. Yeah. wasn't he? It was um, probably part mm, of some yeah you know, some hazing. I'm unfamiliar with it. On the arm, I'd normally see those kind of taps on the neck. Mm. It's a dead giveaway, and it? it's like a spider's yeah. web. And he's Bernie with an I. One of those spellings yes. which makes you think, mm. oh, well, his name must not be Bernard. You know, so like sometimes people try and signal to you that it's not the shortened version of the name you're thinking. That's why they've spelt it differently. Mm. It's actually Bernardino or Bernossus. Yeah, Bernoffel yeah, or something. It's like, but it's not. It's Bernard. So why name yourself in a way that in 1977 only means one thing, moderately priced steakhouse? Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, there used to be a Bernie Inn in Kidderminster, to be fair, in, in Blackwell Street in the town centre. There's a place called the Riverboat, which Ooh. for me always lends some extra magic to the first verse of Neil Young's Ambulance Blues, uh, because <laughs> it was like a heavenly grotto to me as a kid. <laughs> yeah. like luxury beyond compare. A complete break from the everyday, almost as much as going on the ferry out of Triangle. Yes. Like yeah. You disappear into this tall, dark building, dimly lit, with lights designed to look like candelabras. And everything was dark wood and red velvet. Yeah. And like seating in alcoves. And there's like medieval look wooden doors through which would emerge 
unimaginable delicacies mm. like scampi and breadcrumbs cooked from frozen prog cocktails yeah gammon with pineapple ring and good yeah. lord with chips done to a brown dry turn yeah <laughs> yeah big fat chips black like, forest gatto for afters oh lovely obviously it had the same relation to a proper american steakhouse as this record as to johnny cash but <laughs> it was all we knew you know and if, if only this record could be described as a complete break from the everyday. Yes. Mm. I don't think so. The Bernie Inn that was round our way, that uh, my mum and dad took me and my sister to a time or two, it had these, these big windows and Dickensian urchins looking in on us hungrily. <laughs> it always used to make me feel really fucking guilty. I just wanted to invite them in and yeah. give them some of my chips. <laughs> so Thatcherite. It's so, so bad, isn't it? This mm, it's, like, yeah. it's not even that bad. That's the worst thing about it. But it doesn't belong on top of the pops, man. This ain't oh, Pebble God. Mill. No. Yeah, not, not least because it's not in the fucking chart. It's mm. like, I don't want to put a hold on you was a big hit. Mm. You can sort of see why when you listen to it. It's, yeah, it's not bad. It's yeah. not like, bad. yeah, Glenn Campbell's condensed mulligatawny. You know, and it's a mm. proper old school Radio 2 record. Mm. You know, it's like a soothing soundtrack for yeah. root canal work or, you know, potato peeling in the sink <laughs> on Valium. <laughs> but it's incredible how quick he's run out of steam yeah. in such an easy line. Yeah. It's like you hear the twittering woodwind on this record, like badly imagined birds. It's first line time-pressed hack prettification. Mm. It's a dead giveaway, that sound. Just yeah. nobody has tried with this record. Yeah. That's the thing. And it's just left Bernie high and dry. Is this the first shift at the top of the Pops Orchestra tonight? I think it is. Mm. Yeah. Well in the comfort zone here, aren't they? Mm. In the southern comfort zone, if you will. Well, yeah. I mean, it is doomed because Tony's already predicted confidently that this will be a bigger hit yes. than his previous one. So yes. inevitable. The thing I hate the most about this song is that it goes... My father taught me working. Yes. My mother taught me love. Mm. That's an admission. Yeah, yeah. It's no wonder his dad didn't like him then, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but it's, it's autobiographical, isn't it? Because he wins a talent show and gets loads of votes. And, oh. And he's a success, yeah. Oh, I didn't listen that far. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he talks about being made a star, doesn't he? Yes. Um, so it's quite self-reflective. But yeah. Yeah. you know, he goes on about how he's massive success now due to opportunity knocks, without mentioning opportunity knocks. But you know, he's a massive success. But all he wants to do is get back to the Everglades of Orms Cook <laughs> and sit a spell, if you will. <laughs> yeah, and drink horribly sweet booze. Yes. Yeah, well, soon he will get his dream, because never mind a fucking Bernie, this is like something from the Bird's Eye Steakhouse. Yeah. <laughs> made of crushed up stale breadcrumbs and someone's unsuccessful racehorse. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Press that impotence is a beckoning, without a doubt, Ooh. at this point. And, and, and you know, I, I'm gutted that I couldn't find any episodes of Pop Gospel, the show that yes. Bernie Flint did shortly after this. Uh, the belated yeah. kind of wary ITV response if you like to See You Sunday which was a BBC mm. show from 73 to 75 there was a few shows actually in this period leading into the 80s as well that tried to combine pop and religion mm. See You Sunday was a bit of a weird show from BBC in the early 70s presented by Alistair Pirrie who ends up on Rasmataz of yes. course mm. and, and you know the BBC described it as a weekly reflection of the religious world of a new generation Ooh. which meant you know <laughs> 10cc 
Colin Blundstone, Cat Stevens, Medicine Head, you know, <laughs> Randy Newman, with discussions about the children of God and transcendental Ooh. meditation and young Methodists and things like that. But pop gospel starts in about 1979. And, yeah. I, and I think basically it starts because of Cliff Richard, who seems to appear on it every week. And Joe Brown. Yeah. And in a sense, it grows out of the kind of late 60s, early 70s, Jesus music movement from mm. the States, which is the whole start of the multi-billion Christian contemporary music market. The producer Muriel Young of that was also involved in like a few other pop shows like Breakers and Get It Together at that time. shang Yeah. I mean, I, I think pop gospel killed religious pop telly and, until of course the bbc came back with the rock gospel show mm. which you might not remember but sheila walsh alvin stardust were the hosts yes. and they'd talk to people like mike and the mechanics and you'd be lewis in the news <laughs> and they'd talk to kajagoogoo you know about their christian beliefs yes. but yeah i cannot find an episode of pop gospel probably for the best because i've already sort of vaguely hold bernie in contempt and i think that would probably just increase it so two weeks later southern comfort entered the chart at number 48 and immediately dropped out a week later beginning a 45 years and counting period of bernie flint not troubling the chart undaunted by the sudden end of his chart career flint put out two more lps and plied his trade on the cabaret circuit popping up on the telly as the host of pop gospel which was one of mickey delenza's first tv directing jobs in 1979 he went on to be the co-host of the ITV kids show Mooncat and Co. in 1985. No wonder Mooncat was green. <laughs> <laughs> and is still active today. Well, he became, uh, as you would expect, a music and comedy cabaret act. Right. I mean, that's what he was last time his act was recorded on video, which appears to be uh, 1993, if you check out YouTube. He's there with shoulder pads and an estate agent beard, like Beadle, doing variations (laughs) on the old embassy club standards, like the one about the black man who walks into a pub with a parrot on his shoulder, where did you get that thing, etc. I'm sure he kept everyone's spirits high backstage at this top of the pops, Mm. with Osibisa laughing along, good sport. (laughs) Yes. Um, but then he punctuates his off-colour gags about homos by uh, what? strumming idly a, a, a round-backed ovation guitar, which is almost worse, you know. But he's like, he's the last twat standing in the old Britain, you know, mm. in that world where mm. you, all you do is you just go out there and do what's already popular, which is jokes so offensive you can't repeat them and songs so inoffensive you can't remember them Mm. Um, and that's his act but more recently he started his own youtube series bernie flint's pallet palace where he yeah he goes into his shed and breaks up old wooden pallets (laughs) and builds a tv stand out of them um and he's all smiley and creepy sort of chuntering fuck off you're making this up no 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 no. 200 (laughs) views so obviously followed by all the bernie bros hopefully in a couple of years he's equally adept at breaking up old wooden pallets and making them into a dialysis machine because you know for what is summer without summer's end uh but for now he still needs his public so, yeah, you know, on the YouTube it goes. Yeah, yeah. Shitting out. It fucking is Bernie Flynn. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell, he's not lying, Neil. Not the yeah, 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 yeah. How many views? Yeah. 200 odd. 200. 200. Zero, zero. <laughs> uh, it's 201 now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking hell. 
Taylor meant that most sincerely, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's the sound there of Bernie Flynn. Frankie Miller's Full House has come straight in at number 27 this week with Be Good to Yourself. Say goodbye, me deep inside. Baby, I hope it's not farewell. Tone not fannying about this week, immediately pulls us away from Bernie Flint and pushes us towards Be Good to Yourself by Frankie Miller's Full House. Born in Glasgow in 1949, Francis Miller spent his childhood burrowing into his family's record collection and started writing his own songs at the age of nine. And one song he wrote when he was 12, I Can't Change It, would later be recorded by his mum's favourite singer, Ray Charles. While still at school, he became the singer in his first band, the Dell Jacks, and after stints with Glasgow bands West Farm Cottage and Socket to Him JB, he joined his first professional band, the Stoics. In 1971, after he moved down to London, he linked up with Robin Troer, who had just left Procol Horum, and they formed a band called Jude, which garnered much acclaim from the heavyweight music press, but split up a year later without recording an LP. But Miller, who lived near the Tally Ho public house where he would get up on stage from time to time and sing with the band Eggs Over Easy, who were seen as the founders of a movement called Pub Rock, immediately signed a solo deal with Chrysalis and was teamed with Brinsley Schwartz to record his debut LP, Once in a Blue Moon, which came out in 1973. After making a guest appearance on the Thin Lizzy LP Nightlife, duetting with Phil Linnett on the track Still In Love With You, Miller relocated to New Orleans for his second album, High Life, becoming the first white artist to be produced by Alan Toussaint, the first person to record Shoo Rah, Shoo Rah, best known as a hit for Betty Wright, and garnering a reputation as a de facto white soul singer of the 70s, who was so good he made Otis Redding's widow cry when she heard him for the first time. None of this buttered any parsnips with the UK charts, however, and by 1976, Miller was seen by the music press as a perennial also-ran who would never reach Division 1 due to his inability to transfer his pub back to the big stage and his habit of hitting the self-destruct button, having only released four LPs in six years. (laughs) But he's teamed up with members of Ace to form a new group, Full House, and put out his fourth LP of the same name which comes out this week and this tune which was written by Andy Fraser the basis of free is the lead off track from it two weeks ago the day before it was released he made his first ever top of the pops performance which put it into the charts at number 41 and this week it soared 14 places to number 27 so here's another chance to see that 
clip. First question, chaps. Would you call this pub rock? Because that's pretty much the label that was tagged onto him. I wouldn't, actually. No. I do kind of find the term pub rock a little bit offensive sometimes. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but... Um, Tacking I- the word pub onto things tends to downgrade it, doesn't it? You know, pub singer, pub team... Pub grub. Yeah. The implication is that they're good enough to fill out the Hope and Anchor on a Tuesday night, but not good enough to fill out a proper venue. Yeah, which I don't think is the case for Frankie. I think no. he's got a great voice. I mean, the, the thing is, you're right. He gets a lot of press support mm. throughout these years. And almost all that press is talking about how he's almost of a piece with the likes of, I don't know, Joe Cocker and Paul Rogers and Rod Stewart. And, yeah. and you know, one of those regional singers who comes good, but he never comes good. I mean, there's a really interesting piece, actually, from 1979, where Penny Valentine, is interviewing Rod Stewart and, and Rod Stewart says that the only singer he's really worried about is Frankie Miller yes. and the only thing he's pleased about is that Miller isn't good looking <laughs> um, <laughs> but when, when I think about other regional singers if you like who came good and became pop stars like Robert Palmer you, you can kind of see in this performance on Top of the Pops that Frankie Miller it, he's kind of limited he's kind of mm. dated already I mean basically yes. it's a track and this is precisely what I like about it it sounds almost exactly like the faces circa Yes. You know, yes. and he's clearly obsessed with Wilson Pickett and Otis Redding. Mm. The drinking is a problem for Frankie Miller. In an NME interview, so I might even be this week, he says the last time that he touched a drop was at the aforementioned England-Scotland game that you mentioned. Yes. But hes I don't think he's got enough musical versatility to kind of make the moves that people like Rod Stewart are making. And in an era where, where black pop is kind of moving into disco... He's sounding very, very dated. I am yes. dubious about his claims that he's not drinking on the head. Because in similar interviews with Cream magazine in the States at the time, he, he talks about, you know, how he scored some great heroin in Detroit whilst touring. And about how, you know, sort of Brian Robertson being unable to join the Thin Lizzy tour that year is as a direct consequence of Brian Robertson getting glassed while defending Frankie and the Speakeasy Club in London in, in spring of this Ooh. year. But... It's precisely that datedness that I like. And and I never knew that this was written by uh, Andy Fraser because this is fluid and funky like Prime Free. And, and yes. the riff at its heart is really nice. It's almost ACDC-ish. But this is music that even though I enjoy it, I can tell in 77, this ain't going nowhere. And, and unless he can find a way to shake it up or move on a little bit, it's going to be the same for him. I mean, at the time as a nine-year-old, I would have looked at this and gone, oh, this is dad music. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. necessarily my dad music, mm. but it's mm. like, well... Yeah, Frankie Willis, Full House, a show Reef, how it's meant to be done. <laughs> uh, he is a bit of a phantom, isn't he, Frankie Miller? Like, yeah. Considering the relative success he's had over the years, you'd be hard-pushed to find too many people nowadays who knew who the fucking hell he yeah. was. Yeah. I mean, I only knew the name. I wasn't really familiar with any of his stuff. You know, and I'm embarrassingly well-informed on things that don't matter (laughs) before I was born or shortly afterwards. But I think that could be because he's so exactly the same as other people who are well-remembered. He's standing right behind them and he fits perfectly into their shadow. So from here, you just can't see him because let's face facts, this is Twig Stewart. If Rod Stewart had walked on stage, castrated himself, and then booted both testicles into the audience, Frankie Miller would have gone out and done it the next day. It's just... Mm. This song is almost exactly the same as Stay With Me, by the faces. Almost identical. And the band are 50% faces and 50% free. They should have called themselves Cheap 
<laughs> almost free and there's literally nothing here that isn't sourced from one or the other of those places you can tell his roots are the same as those groups and he mm. likes all the original people that they but there's nothing here that isn't sourced directly from those groups mm. and despite the fact that he's a really good singer in his own mm. right and authentically scottish unlike yes. rod mm. so the sheer tonight matthew energy <laughs> is it's a bit uncomfortable although i wouldn't say that to his face no. at least not in 1977 so i wouldn't fancy my chances in a dust up Clyde side rules I get the impression Frankie was at least the real deal mm, fists yeah. and forehead wise yeah Frankie say stitch that um, <laughs> and in fairness you know he was sort of the real deal musically even if it was somebody else's real deal I mean as Neil says Rod Stewart himself is on record numerous times as being a, a big frankie miller fan he doesn't consider him to be like some croaking donovan mm. you know what i mean mm. he considers him a, a respected contemporary which like that wouldn't be the case if he had nothing going on mm. and it it's not going to be down to generosity which is a trait rarely associated with rod stewart so it's like if erno rubik was going around saying, hey, I love this Taiwanese-made cuboid logic puzzle <laughs> called Fascinating Colour Block. Maybe you can find one in your local pound shop. <laughs> Fiendishly difficult, let me tell you. And it's a bit of a shame, isn't it? Because yeah. he's obviously a talented bloke. Yeah, I, I think he, j he just needs a big monster hit. He needs a song yeah. that is a hit. This isn't it. No. But if he's going to break out of the ghetto that he's in and cross over, he just needs a, a really big hit and this isn't it. This is just, it's kind of album tracky yes yeah and i wouldn't have appreciated the lyrics either yeah. it sounds like your mum done it oh get yourself a girlfriend sort yourself out yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's basically saying to someone hey you're a complete fuck up why don't you drag some woman into your life and make her life a misery which is what i didn't want to hear when i was nine it's just it's a funny thing to say about someone we're seeing right here on top of the pops and who's written enough american hits to presumably make him a very rich man mm. But there's always something a bit uncomfortable watching someone who wasn't anywhere near as successful as you would expect them to be mm. for no apparent reason. I mean, there's more egregious examples than this, yeah. where the forgotten guy is actually better than the people who made mm. it. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, in most areas of creative arts uh, and media, and frankly everything else, bland and fundamentally talentless people will succeed and will take over and will close ranks to squeeze out anyone who's not like them mm. which, which is how so many things end up like they do mm. and sometimes it's just dumb luck or bad fortune like you know when you're watching cracker jack cracker and see, jack and, and you see peter glaze <laughs> mm. and you think fucking hell man by 1978 you should have been living in beverly hills next door to mo howard yes <laughs> only leaving your poolside to be flattered by dick cavett Mm. And instead, here you are playing second banana to Ed Shitpot Stewart. Yeah, it's singing just, Making Plans for Nigel. I mean, fucking hell, yeah. You know, entertaining a bunch of runny-nosed Cub Scout cunts yes. holding a precarious stack of MB games with a cabbage <laughs> balance on <laughs> And Frankie isn't quite on that level, but he's talented enough that you know 
that when he was starting off, all his friends, contemporaries, girlfriends, family, they would have found it utterly implausible that he could possibly have failed. Mm. Yeah. yeah, It's like in the same way that any Premier League footballer, even the donkiest donkey, if he came and joined in your kickabout in the park, he looks like a 24-year-old Lionel Messi. Mm. You know what I mean? Because it's, you know, levels. Yeah. It's the same. When you're up close with someone who can really sing and can do it live night after night, all you can see is the gulf between them and the rabble. And you think, oh, I'm in the presence of a future superstar. Mm. But it doesn't always work like that. And although in the grand scheme of things, Frankie Miller is not a failure, don't you think that deep down in his own mind, he kind of was? Yeah. Yeah. He's in a white shirt, a, a tight black waistcoat, and even tighter jeans. So he look he looks like a cross between Francis Rossi and Hurricane Higgins. <laughs> and more importantly, he would look like those Scottish people who were beating the shit out of each other and glassing each other outside the pub on Saturday night, course, which I watched yeah, from, yeah, yeah, from yeah. a car window. Yeah, look like. Yeah. The other thing I wouldn't like was that his guitarists are doing that really over-egging of the playing of their instruments. You know, it looks good from the back of the hall, but on telly it looks like they're wrestling with an anaconda, and it's like, all you're doing is just plucking a string, mate. <laughs> yeah. Surely it doesn't take that much effort. Yeah, yeah. With legs immensely far too far apart. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what yeah. Yeah, Tory power stunts. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just, they get so many things right, but ultimately mm. there's just nothing here to bother you or delight you. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I sat watching this, scribbling down notes, and I'm looking at that page of notes now, and it just says, so drunk and so used to it, like having (laughs) piss in your ears, ears oh piss. Actual killer of Carl Bridgewater, question mark. Mm. Um, Liechtenstein is Switzerland taken to its logical conclusion. Uh, Harry Maguire dash Stan Ogden's stunt double, Paul Heaton dash Alf Roberts' stunt double, and Rummy Cub World Championships live from Mogadishu. <laughs> so I think it's fair to say that Frankie Miller's Full House didn't quite succeed in holding my attention all the way through. Uh, mm. But then, mm. inattentive type. My advice to Frankie is try harder or Better still, don't try quite so hard. Mm. That's all gold, though, Taylor. When's a solo album out? <laughs> Poor old Frankie Miller. He, he was usurped by Rod Stewart musically, and his game show got taken off him by Bob Monkhouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he ended up less famous than his brother, Windy. <laughs> <laughs> So, the following week, Be Good to Yourself dropped two places to number 29, but, like ELO, nipped back up two places the week after, but got no further. A year later, Miller's latest producer, David Mackay, nudged him towards doing a cover of a flop single by a band called Poacher, who had been on New Faces, and he fared much, much better when he took Darling all the way to number six for three weeks in November of 1978, and got to number one in Norway. The follow-up to that 
When I'm Away From You, only got to number 42 in January of 1979, and Barr getting to number 45 with Caledonia in March of 1992. He never troubled the chart again. But he had a go at acting in 1979 as the star of the Play For Today episode, Just A Boy's Game, where he attempts to live up to his beloved grandpa's reputation as the hardest man in Greenock, and spent much of the 80s writing and performing songs for films such as All The Right Moves, Act of Vengeance, and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Have you seen that play for today? Yeah. I can't say I He's have, no. He's fucking brilliant, he is isn't it? very is it? good, yeah. The ending of that is just fucking brutal, isn't it, Taylor? <sighs> yeah. Video playlist, everyone. His career unfortunately came to an end when he suffered a brain hemorrhage in 1994, went into a coma for five months and underwent extended rehabilitation. Oh, and his number one in Norway inspired Chrysalis to rush out his first compilation LP for that country alone in 1979, entitled Frankie Who, Frankie Fucking Miller, That's Who. Till the old dying day May the sun shine down your way Alright and pop crazy youngsters We're going to have break our Kit Kat Whatever comes first And we're going to reassemble tomorrow For part 3 of Chop Music 67 This is Al Needham signing off On behalf of Taylor Parks and Neil Kulkane Stay pop crazed <laughs> Chop Music Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.